like to drink coffee, you'd rather have tea. But we both like hot beverages and we take them very seriously. So let's sit at the table and take some time to be different together. Welcome to Different Together, a podcast that explores the spaces between different communities and imagines building new ones together. I'm Rebecca Farlow. And I'm Justin Lee. Thanks for listening and joining us today. Uh, we've been having kind of an ongoing conversation about reconstruction and deconstruction and the slippery slope. So I just wanted to bring us back to kind of finally wrap up sort of the reconstructing ideas, because I think we've we've talked a lot about deconstructing and we've talked about some things that might help with reconstructing, like safe spaces to process and, and, um, and develop. But there were just a few things that uh, we haven't had time to get to yet. So something I think about with this whole reconstruction, deconstruction thing is the idea of there are different ways you can take something apart, right? You can, kind of carefully take something apart piece by piece. Maybe you want to reuse those pieces for something else later. Maybe you want to build something new and you, you need the supplies that are here. Uh, or maybe you don't care and you're not going to use those supplies anymore. So you just knock it all down kind of like with um, whatever the construction thing is called. The word is escaping me. The wrecking ball? The, like, thank you, the wrecking ball. <laughs> <laughs> I came in like a <laughs> How could I forget that? Now we have to pay royalties um, to somebody. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I actually was walking, this is like a month or two ago in my parents' neighborhood, and we actually saw a house being knocked down, which I don't know if I've ever seen that in process before. And my mom was like, I wonder, sometimes, you know, they they actually reused some of the supplies for Habitat for Humanity, whatever. And then we watched it and it was like, crunch. It was just a bulldozer, like taking big bites out of it. She's like, yeah, I guess not. (laughs) They're not going to be using this lumber. So I think this is kind of a helpful thing to think about because I think what happens sometimes is the wrecking ball comes in and knocks down someone's theological building Hmm. and everything's in pieces and, it doesn't seem like it can be recovered or reused or anything. And they also don't have any blueprints for how to build something new uh, or something different and how to maybe build it stronger. So unsurprisingly, what I think is probably a better process maybe is kind of reconstructing and deconstructing carefully and uh, slowly as opposed to quickly, but that's not always within our control, is it? And that kind of brings me to there's we can talk about these illustrations, I think, together. But the whole idea of and this is um, just philosophical ways of thinking, but foundation blocks versus a web. So a foundationalist perspective is, you know, we build everything from the ground up and everything on top relies on the things underneath to hold it up. And so if we pull out one of those things underneath, everything's going to fall apart, which I think is what a lot of Christians feel like when we push on some of these buttons, right? They're like, if you pull that one, everything else will fall down and I won't know how to rebuild it. Whereas if you 
Um, and James, my husband, actually made this analogy, and I thought it was really helpful, whereas if you think of it as a web instead, um, in this case, you know, Jesus is at the center of our web, and things kind of are you know, proceeding outwards from the middle of the web. But if you, that way, if you pull on something on the outside, and I'm not talking about like if we go and rip down a spider web, but if you gently sort of, you know, like when an insect crawls in a web, they're not breaking it. They're actually just, they're making it vibrate and the spider knows it can go get dinner, but um, mm-hmm. it doesn't break it. It's just, it jiggles it a little bit. And then the spider knows that it needs attention. So if we want to think of our, theological grounding is more of kind of that web thing and it's it's going to be a stronger and a less and a less fragile thing than if we just think of it as building blocks it's an interesting analogy i hadn't thought about it that way but that makes certainly makes sense in a lot of ways i think you know for me one of the things that was really critical about what you just said was this idea of jesus being the mm-hmm. you know at the center i mean we have depending on the analogy you use you can talk about jesus as a foundation as a as a cornerstone mm-hmm. as, you know they're right. different different uh solid rock right yeah. and <laughs> right and i mean that's a real biblical imagery that we get absolutely and i th- one of the things i think is so interesting is and this is something yeah, i've been doing some some writing on and so i i'm not going to let myself get onto too much of a soapbox about this you know in this uh podcast but one of the things i've been thinking a lot about is this idea of how often we build our faith on things without realizing that it's not really as much about jesus as we thought that it was jesus becomes mm-hmm. more the cherry on top of the sunday just to throw another completely different analogy in there um as opposed to the foundation and and we don't realize how often we are really building our faith on the opinions of the people around us the the church community that we grew up with the things that we were taught by our parents you know or or whatever and when we do that it's often not until later in life when something calls those people into question or that church into question or something and we realize that these are that that you know it's it's a human institution or a human being who really gave us the support early on for our faith uh then you know when when our trust in that person is called into question because they're a human being and they're fallible, everything mm-hmm. crumbles. And that, it, it's really tough to build back from that sometimes because you do end up in that situation where, you know, you're talking about the need to deconstruct things carefully to, to be able to sort of with surgical precision, because what we need is another metaphor, with surgical precision to be able to take out you know things that, that that we turn out to have been wrong about or that need some examining without disturbing mm-hmm. everything it's really difficult to do that when you have all your life trusted pastor x to tell you what's right and what's wrong and what the bible says and what the bible means and what all your theology should be and then it turns out that pastor x 
is not always right about everything. Because now everything crumbles all at once and you have no ability to, to you know, you're now you feel like you're sifting through You were trained rubble. as a surgeon yeah. or a construction worker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And that is problematic because, again, we're talking about most people who have not been to seminary and have no... And as I've already said, I'm not sure seminary actually teaches reconstruction a lot of times very well anyway, depending on the seminary that you're at. But um, yeah, you know, most of us come to these places not because we've decided our faith needs tinkering with, but because something has happened that shakes it, right? Mm. And I guess what I would say is I'm hopeful that if we can view our faith maybe more like a web and instead of like a foundation, which again, that's not easy to do. It's not easy to just shift your mindset from one to the other. But then when things do shake it as they inevitably will, it's not, the whole thing is not going to crumble underneath you. But again, all that's easier said than done. And, you know, I, and as I'm so fond of saying, it takes a lot of time it's not something that can be done alone, hmm. I think. And it really needs to be done in community with others who can help and support. Which, again, though, if you're in a faith community where everyone is perhaps thinking maybe the way you used to think, I don't know that that's going to be a helpful place for that. But all that being said, uh, you know, I, I do think there are some things I can talk about the things that helped me, certainly. And I, I hope maybe you can talk about some of the things that that helped you. But some of the mindset shift that I experienced over time, and we, we've talked a lot about this. So like, I had various experiences with LGBTQ Christians that showed me really good fruit. And I also could see that they were being harmed by the way people were, we'll say, interpreting Christianity. And over time, I got to a space where I was uncertain. But I didn't really feel pressure to to come to any sort of decision. I felt that I had the space and the time to be uncertain. And there were people I could be uncertain with and, uh, and talk to about that. And I think being able to kind of rest in that space and in the not knowing and in the mystery, uh, because God is such a mystery in so many ways is really, really important because again, we can't just press a button and make our minds change. We have to be able to we do have to be able to kind of sit in spaces. And at this time, I should say, I was not uncertain of God. I was just uncertain of what what to sort of, what theologically to do about LGBTQ Christian, you know, like not to do, but like to how to, how to see that. Like, could I see myself being affirming? Absolutely. But like, how could I get there theologically? And I do feel like I had space where I, I, I had people around me who were affirming, people around me who were not, but I I could sort of just have my own journey, but also 
I don't know. I'm just blathering on at this point, but you get the gist. No, I mean, I, th- I, I that makes a perfect sense to me. And I think it's something that we struggle with as human beings, the idea of God as a mystery, the idea of, I mean, ambiguity and, and acknowledging that we don't know everything about everything is really tough. It is so much easier to have clear, concrete answers to things. And I do mm-hmm. think that there are things in the world where, you know, mm-hmm. there there is an answer. Like, I don't think we should just go through life being like, well, who Still knows know. anything about anything? What right. is truth? You yeah. Know? Yeah. You don't want to sit in that space with everything forever. Yeah. But but being able to acknowledge that we don't know everything is is really important. I mean, and it's even important in fields where we think about everything being black and white, things like math and science mathematicians and scientists still have to say sometimes uh, there's something here we don't understand there's something here that's still we're still working with and you know in science in particular there's always a sense of the the current science is the best we have the best information we have based on our history of of research of experimentation of study but we always have to be open to if some new piece of evidence comes along that questions it it doesn't then mean that all of science falls apart. It means, okay, we have to re-examine this assumption that we've made um, mm-hmm. and and then look at what that's connected to. I mean, you know, back to your your web analogy, uh, you know, okay, if if we now have to question this thing that we thought we knew, what's that connected to? What does that affect? But it doesn't mm-hmm. mean the whole thing falls apart. but but admitting that we don't know everything is tough. I, I think about this in terms of, because what this conversation needs is more metaphors. I think about this in terms of cooking. I don't cook a lot and I've never cooked a lot. And so I have a really hard time with recipes that are not exact. If something says salt to taste, that's not a recipe I'm going to use because I I don't know. I don't know how much salt to put in to taste. Like, I, you know... I, 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 yeah, I, I less have no, than they say. What's my, that? Is my advice. I said less salt than they suggest is always <laughs> what I do. Although I am also not much of a cook, so. Well, I just, for me, and and I think this is true for a lot of people starting out in any in any space. Sometimes it's helpful to have someone just say, "Okay, here it is," you know, black right. and white. But but as you become a better cook. You know, if you, as you move from cook territory to chef territory or you know, whatever. You, I, <laughs> this I analogy ass- neither of us knows anything about. I assume, as someone who does not know a lot about about that, I assume that you, the more you cook, the better you get at being able to take that recipe, even if it has lots of specific details, and say, actually, you know what? I'm going to change it up. I'm going to put something in that's not what the recipe calls for. I'm going to change the amount of salt that's in this recipe. I'm going to, because, because I know what I like and I can improve on this um, Mm -hmm. because I have enough experience, enough expertise in this space to do that. And so I think as we grow as Christians, we have to be willing to acknowledge more and more and more that there's lots of stuff that we don't understand and that that's okay. And that that's, that, that holding that tension is is not it doesn't mean that you've done something wrong 
it actually is a good thing. And the church historically has had to deal many times with recognizing that something that we had set in stone was not exactly right and that we need to reevaluate that. And I mean, you see that all through the New Testament. There's there's this whole conversation, you know, when, you know, a- after Jesus has died and been resurrected and the, the, you know, all of these folks are trying to figure out now what do they believe about all these things and, you know, what do we do about the Gentiles and what do we do about about circumcision and what do we do about, you know, meat sacrifice to idols and what do we do about you know, all of these things that we disagree on and how do, you know, how do we wrestle with all this stuff? This is part of, of Christian history. And I think you're right, you know, when you said earlier that as much as we're able to do it, we have to do it in community. But I also think for folks for whom that's a challenge because they don't have a Christian community mm-hmm. they can trust right now, um, I, I don't think that means that they can't still be on this journey and trust God. But I do think that to whatever mm-hmm. extent they can find other Christians to, you know, to walk that road with, I think that's mm-hmm. important. I think that's because other people can support you when you find yourself wrestling with big questions. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and you need that support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I think I have a few thoughts here, but the, in in terms of a community aspect, for me, this is where liturgy and rituals of the church actually came in and were very important. So I, you know, I experienced, I'm trying to remember, we've talked about this before, I think, maybe on the podcast, but how I went to a non-denominational church in college that was basically a Southern Baptist church masquerading as a non-denominational church, uh, as, a lot, as a lot of them are, or were at least. But um, communion was like, you know, we did it once a month, I think, or once a quarter even, and it was sort of like this, well, you better be right before God when you come to the communion table. Um, confess your sins. And I just, you know, I was always like, ugh. You know, it it wasn't really like a comforting thing. And then I attended a Nazarene church for a while, several years later, and they had an open table and they said, you know, which was new for me too. And the attitude there was the table is God's gift to us. This is a Mm -hmm. gift from God where God meets us. And that was just such a, a helpful reframing for me. But then Again, a few years later, I was at a free Methodist church and we did communion weekly. And every week we did a long Methodist communion liturgy, which I hadn't heard before, but um, it involves, it's, it's beautiful. I really like it. And now it's escaping me, but it involves like chains being broken and, and rivers rolling down and all this stuff. And I remember thinking, and there's a whole, there's a bunch of call and response elements to it and I remember at first I was kind of like why are we doing this super long liturgy like every week (laughs) and then as I sat in it every week I finally started to understand because every week chains were broken and rivers rolled down and it was forming us and lifting up communion as the center part of the service which to me still I mean that's just theologically where I land, I I like, I really like communion as a center part of the service. 
And it did change some with the liturgical season. So we would say some different words sometimes, but I still really, the ordinary time one there was uh, just really powerful for me and really formative. But I, again, it was sort of one of those things where you don't realize it's happening to you until you realize it's happening to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just been true for me for a lot of these things. I remember, like, I, I remember essentially when I realized, wait, I'm not responsible for the salvation of other people. Mm. <laughs> like, it is not my responsibility to save other people, which I think is a burden that evangelicalism really lays on you. And I, I was like, that is God's, you know, that is God's work. And we join God in God's work, but it is not my responsibility. And there's a huge weight off my shoulders. But it wasn't just like one day I woke up, I think, and thought that. It had been, I think I had been learning that and learning that and learning that until I could realize that sort of thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's, I mean, boy, we could do a whole a whole episode on on that question. I, yeah. I think it's something that a lot of evangelicals really struggle with, you know, trying to balance this this idea that that is in the Bible about um, sharing the good news and you know talking about mm-hmm. about Jesus and 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 you know with with the world and and all of that with this idea of being taking on a sense of responsibility for other people's salvation and, and feeling like something that, oh goodness, I, I don't want to go down this road too much, but, 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 but this pressure that I think a lot of evangelicals feel to be constantly harassing everybody in their life. You know, have you come to Christ yet? Have you come to Christ yet to the point that you just make everybody hate hearing about your faith whatsoever, which is kind of who I was as a kid. And I regret that now. Um, that's a whole thing we could talk about. We also could do a whole thing on what you were saying about uh, communion or the Eucharist. You know, this this mm-hmm. the, this idea of the, the there's pressure there too, and that's boy. There's an interesting theological conversation there because there's this there's this passage mm-hmm. where Paul talks about people coming to the table at, and eating and drinking judgment upon themselves that that gets quoted it certainly was quoted a lot in in my church growing up um when we would have communion and it's in the context of it's i had to look up the reference because i couldn't remember the 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 reference it's first corinthians 11 but it's in the context of paul talking about people at that time, at least in in Corinth, being really awful about how they were handling this meal. Um, Mm. I mean, he says, he says, when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? It There's this, you know, this sort of every person for themselves kind of approach going on here. And there seems to be a class thing too, humiliating mm-hmm. people who, who have nothing, you know, he's, he's talking about. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's something going on where it's, 
it's about division, but it's not just about division. It seems to be about class and about lack of caring mm-hmm. for fellow churchgoers and mm-hmm. people serving themselves and, and not caring about anybody else and just you know, all this awful stuff. And so in this context, right. he talks about people eating and drinking judgment upon themselves. You know, you're you're doing this holy thing, but you're doing it in this incredibly unholy way that's unworthy of everything that you're saying that you're doing. And mm-hmm. I feel like that is a really different conversation from feeling like if you if you haven't fully addressed all of the sins in your life, you know, in the exact right way, then then there's some danger of uh, mm-hmm. participating in this in this communion or Eucharist. A ritual that mm-hmm. we have i think that there's there's a lot there that's really important and i think that we we should be right with god and i think that we should ask for god's forgiveness and and we have to acknowledge that different christians understand that meal in different ways in terms of how much of it is symbol and and what's going sure. on and all this. but there is something back to your point about ritual that is really important and really helpful in ways that we can't always explain logically. Um, mm-hmm. I I completely agree with you that even when, and 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 this is maybe why this point is so important. That even when we don't have all the answers, even when we have lots of questions and doubts, that we can participate in these rituals and don't have to feel like I've got all my theological ducks in a row before I can come to God. And I don't think I'm saying anything that you haven't just said. I'm just sort of <laughs> trying to echo it in in you know in my own language that that I think that understanding that we can do that is so so important because if we think that we have to have all our theological ducks in a row before we can come to that table, before we can participate in these rituals, then a lot of people feel unworthy and and feel mm-hmm. like you know what am i doing here i don't have all the answers i i'm not sure what i believe about certain things do i have to figure all that out on my own before i can even participate and mm-hmm. and i think that misses the entire point yeah i agree yeah it it occurs to me as we continue to layer new metaphors onto um, onto these ideas, you know, though, I, I think it's because like the rituals, this is difficult to explain. And you and I talked, I don't think it was on the podcast, but just about people's desire for a guidebook of what to do and how to do it. Right. Yeah. Um, if you just tell me what to do and how to do it. And yeah, we were talking about this the other day and I said, yeah, I'm like that person who I love to learn new instruments, but I get really like lost in the weeds sometimes about like, what's the right way to hold it. Hmm. Um, when as long as, you know, for, and, and I'm talking about like things like the ukulele, the banjo, the guitar, as long as you're comfortable and not hurting yourself and building up a lot of extra tension, then whatever way works for you is how you do it. Um, and frankly, for something like the ukulele, a lot of the people talking about it were men and you, you 
typically hold it across your chest. And so for women, like that's really different. Mm. Um, which a lot of the men did say, you know, uh, you know, ladies, you know, again, you got to figure out what works for you. And so I'm, I'm saying I'm not immune to, to that desire, but for some of these things, there's no guidebook and there can't be. And Jesus, it just reminds me partially because I was reading an article yesterday about the kingdom of God and how and the author of the article, uh, her name's uh, Melissa Flora Bixler, and she was saying 37 times in the New Testament, you know, Jesus describes the kingdom of God and compares it to, you know, baking, to farming, to all these different things. And the point was that it was so different from people's perception of what a kingdom was. And the, and, but to explain that, you know, Jesus doesn't say, well, it's just that, you know, (laughs) the power works like this. And instead of a king being really oppressive, what I mean is this, Jesus said, no, the kingdom is like this. And it was this totally other thing Hmm. that's unrelated. And so many of these concepts are like this. It's, it's being able to sit in the idea of the kingdom of God is so different from what I understand and from how I understand even what a kingdom means. Reconstructing faith is not something you can give people a guidebook for because it is a process of (laughs) sifting through things, all of which will be different for every person but which will have some communal overlap, which is why it's so important to do with other people. Yeah. <laughs> Rebecca's just dropped the the mic, uh, but you can't see her, so just trust me. She just dropped an invisible mic. I dropped it. I'm walking away. <laughs> Don't walk away. We have to finish the show. <laughs> My last... Um, Please feel free to jump in. I just wanted to say some resources that to me, again, were helpful kind of in this journey was reading um, a lot of Rachel Held Evans's work because she is um, somebody who moved from evangelicalism but didn't leave it behind. You know, she, she was very... Just the way she describes that whole journey is is hugely helpful. And then the stuff with liturgy and whatnot that I've I've talked about. Some as a musician, you know, finding church music that kind of describes this journey, I think, is challenging. Unfortunately, mm. um, a couple of my favorite songwriters are John Foreman and Sarah Groves, and they have a lot of really good good stuff that kind of digs into some of this. And then I read a book called Tattoos on the Heart that I know I've talked to you about by Greg Boyle, who is a Catholic priest who started the Homeboy Industries uh, in Los Angeles, which is a ministry to help people who are former gang members get work and kind of build new lives. He came to speak at Fuller when we were out there, and then I read his book, and it's just, it is really remarkable. And a really, just a really, he's a great storyteller for one thing. Um, but it's just a really powerful reframing, I think, of of how God sees us, how we see God. The idea that every single person is 
worthy and loved and you know that that's god's desire for us so those are some of the things that have been i'd say pretty transformative for me um one thing that i you mentioned rachel um, rachel held evans one one thing that i love about the way that she approached some of the the questions she was wrestling with uh, in her life is that she she didn't limit herself to uh, just trying to study what what a bunch of theologians said about this or that topic. I mean, I think I believe that being connected to the historical church is important. I believe that that none of us should think, oh, I'm the first person ever to ask this question or that question, and so uh, I need to figure this all out on my own. I think part of the community that that we can turn to is the historical church community and. And often there's really important stuff to see in what Christians who lived many generations before us had to say on this topic or that topic, you know, and so I, th- I think reading theologians and and such can be really important, really enlightening, a, a big part of our journey. But I appreciate that Rachel, as she wrestled with questions, kept going back to seeing God in the world and 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 going to to places that were in some cases outside of her initial comfort zone and seeing God at work in other parts of the church that she hadn't grown up in and in other experiences and and giving herself the opportunity to hear God and and experience God in her life in new ways rather than just trying to come to some kind of intellectual understanding of everything and I guess that mm-hmm. that really speaks to me because I I I like to approach problems logically and so when I have a question, I like to do research and find out well, what do other people say about this topic and let me learn all this. And that's helpful, but it's not always how we how we find the right answers all the time. You know, sometimes our experience with God in community is one of the most important things whenever we can have that opportunity and again it's not always available to everybody all the time but when that is an option uh i i just i think she was really on to something in the way she approached a, a lot of things like that so yeah I, th- I think there's a reason that the bible is filled with stories of the community of people of god in relationship with god and it isn't just an instruction manual. Now Justin has dropped his <laughs> mic. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I I think this is a good place for us. Um, we've identified a couple of potential future topics. What was it? Communion and uh, the idea of, like, being responsible for other people's salvation. Hmm. So maybe we'll come back to those and circle back around. And we'll hopefully uh, have some other guests on some of our upcoming episodes too. 
So thanks for joining us. If you like what you hear, please tell a friend. And I really am going to put in the link uh, for you to support us. Uh, I do post links to things that we talk about on our podcast website, which you can find at rafarlow.com slash podcast. Uh, that's rafarlow, which is F as in Frank, A-R-L-O-W slash podcast. Uh, we're laughing because Justin just told me that when I say backslash, that's incorrect, but I'm not sure it's something I can alter at this point. (laughs) (laughs)